On Friday night, as we were setting up for today after our Good Friday service, one of our, our guys came to me and said, said the same thing to me last year. I hope it doesn't get to be a tradition. He said to me, you know, this is kind of like your Super Bowl Sunday, isn't it? You know, it's uh, no pressure there at all, I'll tell you. And uh, so I went home over the weekend and I try to console myself with the fact that most surveys say that most people will make up their minds whether they're coming back to a church within the first seven minutes that they're here. So I figure it's either the greeter's fault or the worship team's fault if you don't come back again. So it gets me off the hook just a little bit. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew, the 28th chapter. If you're going to use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find... Our text on page 844 in the Pew Bibles you'll find there in the chair racks in front of you. And as you can imagine, our text today focuses on the resurrection. Kept teasing people this week I was going to preach on tithing. But uh, with the better wisdom, I came back to the resurrection. All four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hear this word from Matthew 28, the first 10 verses. God says to us, after the Sabbath, as the, fir- as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they... They became like dead men. But the angel told the woman, Don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has been resurrected, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and quickly tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Good morning. They came up and they, they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. You know, I've been preaching Easter sermons for 25 years. And have always focused on the resurrection. In fact, at other times of the year, also focus on the significance of the resurrection. But never once has this question dawned on me. And perhaps this may never dawned on you. Is why was the stone moved? For whose benefit was the stone moved? You know, usually, I think our natural assumption is, is that, well, Jesus was locked inside, right? So the angel came down, brought Jesus back to life, Rolled the stone out of the way and let Jesus loose. The more you think about it, the more trouble I have with that. You know, first of all, the scripture tells us that while Jesus was in his dead state, between the time he died, his physical body died on the cross, and he was resurrected on Easter morning, that in between that time, Jesus was very active. I don't understand all that it means, but First Peter tells us that he went and he preached to the spirits who were in prison. So Jesus wasn't just kind of like in slumber. He was active. He was busy. Besides, as, as a result of the crucifixion, he was putting back on all of his divinity. So none of the limitations that he had subjected himself to as the incarnate Son of God applied to him anymore. 
He said, if I have the power to lay down my life and take it again. He had the ability as God to bring himself, his physical body, back to life. He didn't need the angel. And he didn't need the angel to move the stone. In fact, if you read in the book a little later in some of the Gospels, that in some of his appearances to the disciples, they were in locked rooms. Nobody getting in, nobody getting out. And Jesus just shows up. So did he have to have the stone moved? Nah, I don't think so. So who was the stone moved for? I mean, here are these women. They, they've gone out at the end of the Sabbath, most likely, on Saturday. You know, it's dawn, but the market makes sure they go out and, they, and they've bought just pounds and pounds and pounds of spices to prepare Jesus' body for its real burial, its final burial. Some commentators think they may have bought over 100 pounds of spices. They did, would do that from time to time for that amount. So they're early on Sunday morning. They're out on the road. They're headed out to the tomb. They, they have a love for Christ and they want to they do the one last act that they need to do. They want to go and clean the body, get the, the blood off of his brow and, and comb his hair and, and, get, and then anoint him with these spices and prepare his body for a final burial. And as they arrive at the tomb, Mark tells us, they start to ask themselves, who's going to move the stone for us? See, they had been there on Friday afternoon when they put Jesus in this tomb. Knew how big the rock was. And in their exuberance, their their grief and their blindness. They had come out without any plan to move the stone. And God shows up in the form of an angel. And what happens? An earthquake takes place. It's been one of our scenes, uh, themes in, in our series on seismic shifts. Last week we saw in the, in the crucifixion in Matthew 27, there was an earthquake associated with that. Another one this morning. An angel descends and there's an earthquake and the stone is moved and the angel speaks. Whose benefit was that for? He invites him, says, you know, go on into the tomb. Take a look around. Touch the stuff. See, he's not here. He's been resurrected just like he told you. He's risen. He's risen indeed. In fact, he's already on to the next thing. You're going to meet him in Galilee in the future. God's, the message of the resurrection, the evidence of the resurrection, the record of the resurrection in the New Testament is for our benefit. It's not for Jesus' benefits. It's for our benefit. It is doing everything that it can to confirm our faith in Jesus Christ as the unique Son of God. Because everything that's true about Christianity, all of the promises of Christianity, of grace in the name of Christ, hinges on the certainty of the resurrection. I think the Apostle Paul got it exactly right when he said, you know what, if Jesus isn't raised, man, you're still in your sins. Your faith is useless. He said, actually, we of all men are to be pitied because we've turned out to be liars about God. We're, we're, we're blaspheming God. Everything about Christianity hangs in the balance of the certainty of the resurrection. So when these, decide, when these women arrive at the tomb, Jesus is already gone. And the angel moves the stone. And the earth quakes. And they're invited to come into the tomb and see that he's no longer there. And, he's, and he affirms what's happened with the voice of God. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Well, what, what proof do we have that Jesus is really resurrected? You know, I, there's a lot in our culture today with all of the scientific evidence and being able to verify and all that kind of stuff that, you know, that there's some who just demand, you know what, I need to have a body that's been severely beaten. I need to lie, let it lie still and dead for 36 plus hours. And then I need to see it brought back to life, not just to mortal life, but to immortal life, a life that's going to last forever before I'm going to believe. And that's not going to happen. 
We're not going to get that kind of evidence. Because with that kind of evidence, we really wouldn't need faith, would we? And God calls us to be a people of faith. But what evidence do we do have? I'd suggest a couple things to you. I'm not trying to do an apology for the resurrection today. But I am trying to give you a sense of, of certainty. A sense of certainty about the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that you can have confidence in the seismic shifts that it creates in our spiritual history. One thing I'd say to you is that, you know, it it didn't take very long for this Christian sect inside of Judaism to draw the attention of the Jews. I mean, it was literally just a few weeks after the death of Christ that Peter and John are out in the temple proclaiming Jesus and the religious authorities are getting bent out of shape again. You know, and they're arresting them and bringing them in and threatening them and everything else. And, and it's not too long after that we see one of them, Stephen, being stoned to death for his message about Christ. It, when all that was happening, why didn't they just produce the body? I mean, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, just produce the body. They had control of everything. They had a, they had a, uh, you know, a, a, a royal guard for the temple. They, just go find the body and produce it. I mean... Yeah, it wouldn't have smelled very good, but at least after you know, four, you know, 40 days, 50 days, they would have been able to tell who it was, and they could have said, this is Jesus. He's not alive. He's dead. Didn't happen. Well, some might say, well, it's because the disciples stole the body. In fact, that's the story a little later in Mark, Matthew 28, that the guards who said that they, who were so, so afraid, they became like dead men, that's the message they were told to tell. This is my story and I'm sticking to it. You know the country song? You know, this is my story. We fell asleep, they stole the body. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And they got to move a huge stone, a bunch of disciples dragging them out. They're sitting, they're not going to wake up. You know, that's my story and I'm sticking to it kind of idea. But let's, let's consider that. you got these disciples now who steal the body. And then... Within a few days, they go, go, go from folks who were scattered on the night of Jesus' arrest to being people who were willing to stand in the marketplace and proclaim his, him as risen, even if it's going to lead to their own demise, to their own deaths. I, I don't buy it. Maybe Peter. Maybe Peter was so overtaken with grief with his denial of Christ that he could somehow become so delusional he can believe he saw the resurrected Christ. What about the rest of them? Do you know that what we know from Christian history is that the only, the, only one of those 11 disciples who were left, only one of them died a natural death, and that was the Apostle John. All The rest of them, the other 10, all died as martyrs for their belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't buy, think about the Apostle John. I mean, he stood at the, at the foot of the cross, and Jesus, this, his beloved teacher and friend, says, see, this, see my mother? You treat her as your mother. Your mother. Take care of her. Yeah, he's going to become delusional and go out and, and offer up his life. It doesn't make any sense. There isn't any sense in it. How about Paul's conversion, seeing the resurrected Christ? There is undeniable evidence, if we will just see it with the eyes of faith, that Jesus Christ was truly resurrected. And God wants us to be so sure of it because the heart and soul of the work of Christ lies on the validity of the resurrection. It is God's, it's God's acceptance stamp on the life and the death that he lived for us. And it is in the resurrection that God unleashes this seismic spiritual waves to run through our spiritual history and to change our lives. Well, what are those seismic forces? You know, that's a a daunting challenge to try to articulate in just a few minutes on an Easter Sunday. You know, it's, it's 
you know, the, literally it's the whole New Testament. But let me just give you two handles to grab onto as a part of understanding what God did for us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's this first one. And, and it, it may sound very simplistic, but it's incredibly profound. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God gave us the ability to begin again. He gave us the ability to start over again our spiritual journeys. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus when he came to him? Nicodemus was this religious leader, didn't want to really kind of get in trouble with his party, but he wanted to find out more about Jesus. And in their conversation, what did Jesus say to them? He says, you must be born again. You've got to go back. You've got to start over again in your spiritual journey. Remember when you were a kid and you used to play in the yard with your buddies and, and, and you always had do-overs? You know, I, I lived in a neighborhood that was just full of kids. And so by the time we, we got home from elementary or middle school, we had already planned what we were going to do that afternoon. It was either football in the backyard, it was street hockey, it was basketball, it was cops and robbers, it was, it was whatever, you know, we would do in the neighborhood. And I will guarantee you that no matter what we did, there was one thing that was certain to happen. There was going to be a huge fight. You were out of bounds, I'm telling you, you were out of bounds, you're out of bounds, you know, kind of thing. Oh, you fouled me, you fouled me, you know, and, and you get these big arguments and yelling and screaming and et cetera, and you always laid it up by saying, it's a do-over, you know, and you just got to do it over again, you know. We do that sometimes as adults, don't we? You know, like when you're out in the golf course and you yank one into the woods, you were talking, I get a do-over, and you get another ball out and put it down, I never do that, by the way. No, I've got to be honest with you, I do do that. So, You know, some of us, we go back and we look at the way we invested in the market before 2008, and we'd love to have a do-over, wouldn't we? I think there have been a few days in our 25 years of marriage, my wife would like to have a do-over on our wedding day. And I can remember a couple of those days pretty vividly. The incredible thing is that spiritually God gives us a chance for a do-over. You know, many of us may be longing in our lives for do-overs because there's mistakes we've made. Some of them we keep repeating over and over and over again. For others, we may be longing for a, a do-over because there's been failures in our lives. Even though we seem to try really hard, it just didn't work out and there's a failure in us and we're, we, we wish we just could go back and start over again. For others of us, we just kind of replay the tape of our lives and we're thinking, you know... It's okay, but it could have been a whole lot better. I wish I could just do this over again. Well, you take those feelings and you apply those to our spiritual lives. Those failures, those mistakes, those feelings of mediocrity or averageness. And the scripture calls those sin in our spiritual lives. And there's no way to rewrite those sins in our lives without the grace of Jesus Christ. And God screams out to us in the resurrection, you can start over again. Because of what Jesus did on the cross... And with the power that he's made available as he's resurrected from the grave, you can go back and have a do-over in your relationship with me spiritually. For some of us, that starts with that original U-turn that we need to start going in another direction. Jeff talked about this in his testimony where you know, there was just a time in his dialogue with this friend of his that, that God just kind of showed up in his life. And, and even though Jeff was kind of running away from God and denying God, God just drew him and there was a U-turn in his life. And there are many of us sitting here this morning who need that original U-turn in our lives. If you are asking yourselves the question, do I have a faith in God 
The, is God important to me? The answer to that is, if you are not intentionally pursuing God, you're moving away from Him. The Scripture says we need to pay much closer attention to what we've seen and heard, lest we drift away from it. So if we're not intentionally paying attention to God in our lives, we're drifting away from Him. And that means we're moving in the wrong direction, and God needs to do a U-turn in our lives and to bring us back. And the resurrection cries out to us, you can have a do-over. Now, some of us have already made that U-turn. And like Jeff talked about, there's times in our journey where we just hit a few potholes along the way. And our wheels get out of alignment and life starts shaking just a little bit. Sometimes those potholes are like a big sinkhole. I remember one time I had a Volkswagen Rabbit and I hit a, I hit a, um, a huge hole in, in Boston and it dented the rim. Just dented the whole rim. Not only blew out the tire, dented the whole rim. Just sometimes it feels like the wheels are coming off. And the scripture says if we, are, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get to even have a do-over then. It's like the spiritual GPS in our dashboard is saying, recalculating route. And we get the chance to get back on route with God. It's incredible stuff. And this is what God has unleashed for us in the resurrection. We may be using simplistic answers, but the theological implications of what God has done in Jesus Christ is just mind and heart boggling if we will see it in Jesus Christ. But i got to tell you, you're probably like me. I don't want to go back and just live the same life over again. I don't want to just go back and live the same spiritual mistakes and lack of wisdom and lack of obedience. I want it to be different. And part of the message of Easter is not only do we get to do it over again, but we get to do a different life right now. What did Paul say? If any man be in Christ... He's a new creature. The old's passed away. The new has come. We get to live life differently. We not only get to start over, but we get to do it differently. I don't know how you would describe all of that. You might say that that our life before was a life that was dominated by sin, and now we get to have it dominated by faith and governed by faith. For others, you might say that it was we lived our life under law, that in order to, to be something, we had to do something. But now we get to be something just because we are in relationship with God. That's called grace. Some of us have been, you know, we, we feel like we've been orphaned by God in our previous lives. Now we get to live as though we've been adopted into the family of God, children of God, joint heirs with Jesus, the Scripture tells us. In our original lives, we were pursuing a dead hope, pursuing all the things that we could never take with us beyond this earth. And in the new life, we get to pursue a living hope. When we actually really can hook up a spiritual U-Haul to the back of our lives and take those treasures with us into heaven. It's incredible, the change. So it's profound for us to ask the question, how is it that you and I can unleash those seismic forces, those spiritual seismic forces in our lives? Let me say this to you this morning. It starts with simply asking God for a second chance. To ask God for a do-over. To ask God to grant you a U-turn in your life. You know, there's a lot of us here who have known God or about God for a long time. We grew up as a Roman Catholic or a Baptist or a Congregational or Methodist, Episcopalian, Lutheran, whatever. We, we grew up kind of going to church, and we know the name of Moses is somewhere there in the Old Testament somewhere. We know King David was pretty important. You know, Elijah seems to have this cool role, and certainly there's Paul and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Jesus fits in there. And we, You know, we know some stuff about God. But that's not the same thing as looking God in his spiritual eyes, if you will. And based upon the 
seismic spiritual forces he's unleashed in the resurrection to say, God, I want to start over again with you because of what Christ has done for me. The scripture calls that act repentance, of turning 180 degrees and pursuing God. And I would be remiss today if I stood here and as God's representative in our service to proclaim his truth to you. If I didn't invite you to ask God right now to grant you a do-over in your spiritual journey with him. And if you think that that's what's appropriate for you today, and I believe that there are some among us who are sensing that from God's spirit today, I'd like to lead you just in a, in a very basic prayer that expresses our desire for a do-over, a beginning again in our lives. And you can pray it silently in your heart and your minds as I pray it out loud, and it'll be just as real and as significant and sincere to God as it is. Let's pray together for just a minute. And if you're, if you're ready to ask God for a do-over in your spiritual journey, just pray silently after me. God, I confess that I've made mistakes to you. There are failures and disappointments, discouragements that line the walkway of my spiritual life. And I know they've taken me away from you, and I'm moving away from you. So, Father, I confess my sin to you, and I confess to you today that I believe that Jesus was resurrected from the grave and that he's alive and that he can be my Savior and my Lord. I ask you to forgive me based upon what he did, and I invite you by faith to enter into my life because I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, you know, um, I want to challenge you to do something. I, I, you know, as you start again, I think you want to get off on the right foot. And we want to help you get off on the right foot. And you'll see in the chairs in front of you, there's a, there's a card there. And I, I, there, there are two things we think you really need to get off to a great start. One is relationships, is one is spiritual res- and the other is spiritual resources. So we'd love for you to take that card if you've prayed that prayer today. Just fill out the back of it with your name and et cetera. We will follow up with you in the next um, short time, next few days, to see if there's ways we can serve you as you take full advantage of this new life in Christ. We're not a sect or a cult that's going to kind of pounce on you and try to control your life, but we do want to be agents of grace if we can be in your journey. And then I would like for you to invite you to take it out in the lobby. There's a response table. And we have some spiritual resources that we've put together that are designed just to help you get off to a great start. And I want to invite you to go by there. There's a, a Bible that's been put together that's it's, it's faithful to the Word of God. You're going to find every word in the Word of God, but it's got some special helps in it for new believers. There's also a little booklet that describes some of the next steps that you can take as you go forward. So I want to invite you to go by on your way out of the service and go by the table. There'll be one of our elders there and they'll be willing to meet with you and, and give you those resources and take a next step. I mean, boy, if, if, if God did everything he did in Jesus Christ to give you a chance for a new beginning, take full advantage of getting off to the right start. Secondly, beyond asking God for a do-over in our lives, this U-turn, there's some of us here this morning who are followers of Jesus Christ who just feel like we're kind of a little bit off track with God. We'd say, you know, I, I still think about God, etc., but my life is not about following God. And I extend to you in the name of Jesus Christ today an opportunity to get realigned with God. Another adjustment as God grants us new beginnings. His mercies are new to us every morning. And with that, to seek God's forgiveness. Just confess where you are to God and ask God to get you back on track as you move forward. As we consider the aftershocks, of the earthquake of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We wanted you to have a tangible reminder that God moved the stone for you 
and that God is still moving stones in the lives of people. So even though it might be a bit corny, we have a stone for you to take home this morning. And we, we would love for you to just maybe put it on a nightstand or on a desk at work or if you spend a lot of time in a car, put it on a console or whatever. But just as a physical reminder that God moved the stone for you and he can move the stones in your life so that you can have a life full of faith in Jesus Christ. So at the end of every row, there's a basket of stones. And I invite you to pick them up and pass it down and take one of those. Some of them are small enough. You might be able to just keep it in a pocket. Others are just, you know, um, you get, again, they may be a little large. You want to put it in your purse or put it on a desk or, or a nightstand. But this is, we want this to be a reminder to you that God moved the stone for you. Let's pray for just a minute, and then we'll have our concluding song to celebrate the God who still moves stones. God, thank you that you did it for us. The angel, the stone, the earthquake, the empty tomb, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the agony in Gethsemane, the brutal death on a cross, the resurrection. You did it for us. And God, we seek in these moments to unleash that seismic spiritual force in our lives by our faith in Jesus Christ where which we get to experience a do-over with you as a part of the continuing aftershocks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's that we celebrate today, what you've done for us and what you can do in us as we pray in the name of the resurrected one, Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite our worship team to come forward and lead us in our closing song.